0: Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar.
1: Hey, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar, and joining me today is David Yang, partner at Activant Capital. Welcome, David.
0: Thanks, Santosh. Happy to be here.
1: And yeah, it's great to have you on, and I'm especially excited because we're talking today about how every startup is going to be a supply chain startup. and. (laughs) Our listeners know how much kind of that thought tickles me and intrigues all of us here at Dynamo. But before we jump into that, I'd love for you to kind of give the listeners the high level brass tacks on Activant Capital and what you and the team are focused on there.
0: Sure. All right. Brass tacks, Activant. We are a growth tech investor focused on commerce infrastructure, basically how you make, move, sell, and pay for stuff. We are, so that's fintech, logistics, and e commerce enablement. It's about 30 people now, four offices around the world, headquartered here in Greenwich, Connecticut, and New York. We're about a billion and a half AUM across four funds, and we're typically investing in sort of series A through E. I'd say, you know, beyond the deep focus on commerce infrastructure, sort of those three buckets I mentioned earlier, you know, the other part of what we think we do a bit different, we're very focused on our companies, forming kind of end-of-one relationships, being a deeply committed investor-counselor relationships, and sort of earning the right to invest. So that's our ethos. So
1: well, what's the David Yang story? How did you get into kind of the world of VC? And we could likely surmise the interest that has popped up around supply chain, but equally, I guess, kind of understanding that journey into the realm of supply
0: chain. Sure. The latter story is maybe more interesting than the f- former story. But the David the story, real quick, I grew up in Southern California originally, a master plan suburb where everything was a different shade of beige. For college, I just wanted to go somewhere totally different. So I found my way to Philly and the East Coast. I went to UPenn for the culture, for the history, to watch the seasons change. And I've pretty much been on the East Coast ever since. I found my way to tech investing after school. I initially started my career at larger, later stage sort of growth and buyout firms, TA Associates, Warburg, Pincus, firms like that. But I I realized pretty quickly that I wanted to work with much growthier businesses, earlier stage companies. So I found my way to active in a couple of years. My exposure to supply chain probably started as early as, you know, when I was back at Warburg many moons ago. They've done well investing in logistics and supply chain over the years. I remember Coyote, Mercury Gate, GT Nexus, I think were some of the logistics portfolio companies while I was there. I got to follow those, start understanding their business models. But I guess my deep dive into logistics came when I started covering Amazon of all companies. I was at a, a large family office helping lead their tech investment effort in both public and private's. You know, I remember an early question when we were building our thesis on Amazon and why they were so successful. Obviously, a lot of reasons, you know, listed out all the, the pieces of that, but, uh, you know, logistics, FBA, obviously a big part of it, you know, speed and convenience at the end of the day is a, you know, huge factor in kind of consumer purchasing, you know, just I guess me, for example, I remember I used to compare prices between different, right? Online retailers. Now it's see the Amazon price tag, you know, it's going to get here in two days. You know, I, I don't usually not quite sure you know but i'm less far less sensitive to price right just yeah that that convenience is incredibly valuable so that led me to my kind of unbundling amazon pieces you know all of amazon's superpowers how do you give them to others logistics is obviously a big part of it so you know spent time with the flexports the convoys the delivers and shipbobs of the world over the years and it's been um been a fun journey ever since especially obviously with the pandemic that leads a little bit into the article that we published, but maybe i will pause here.
1: I want to jump into that article, actually, that, sure. that you and your colleagues published. And the theme, as I quote, is in, ten, in the next 10 years, every company will become a supply chain company. <laughs> and I want to unbundle this, but I think first and foremost, like, what was the genesis behind this in that, hey, we need to go away, do some work. And we think sure. we need to do work around the supply chain. And ultimately that work has kind of, I guess, unfolded itself in a way that we're talking to you today.
0: <laughs> All right. First, yeah, I would say we were a bit cheeky with our title. I think wanting to be a, you know, a big catchier, maybe in the spirit of you know, software is eating the world or every company is a fintech company. That was sort of the genesis behind at least the name. On the article itself, you know, I guess I should start by first saying, you know, giving credit to our research team. Research in general, as I mentioned earlier, as I should have mentioned earlier, is a big focus area for and It's an area we've been investing in. We've got a dedicated team and a dedicated office on that. So props to them, kudos to them. But, you know, the article itself, I would say we sat down, you know, back half of last year kind of to take stock of what was going on and, logistics and supply chain, (laughs) obviously it's been a, I guess, a roller coaster up and down in terms of, you know, consumer demand and supply capacity has obviously been constrained and then unconstrained, but, uh, you know, we sat down thinking about those things and, you know, we sort of realized that it's the same pain points in logistics that have always been there. You know, we list some of it out in the article, you know, but it's, you know, growing complexity, increasing fragmentation, still manual processes, not enough tech underutilized assets, rising labor costs. So it was, you know, it felt like the pandemic didn't so much create new problems. It just magnified a lot of the problems that were there. And, you know, I think what changed was now, it wasn't just logistics experts or logistics CEOs who were, you know, following these problems closely, but now kind of everybody else and their mother, I guess. Anybody who's ever showed up at Walmart, you know, trying to buy toilet paper and found not enough or too much, I think you get it. And so there was a, you know, not that much change, but also a lot has changed and thinking the article could be a good catalyst to, to kind of further that change and continue to build awareness. And so we started the article, we, you know, got to thinking, we pulled forward, you know, fast forwarded kind of what five to 10 years down the road should look like. And, you know, we came to the conclusion that, you know, retailers should be thinking about it. Merchants should be thinking about it. You know, you and I. uh, apartment building should be thinking about. So there was an element of, wow, this feels almost ubiquitous. So again, hence leading to the title and, and the article. And if I had
1: to guess, also, it certainly helps having a portfolio of consumer oriented businesses who, you know, are a large user of various supply chain services, software offerings. So that's to speak. right. That's right. So kind of bearing all this in mind, what's exciting to you in supply chain as we head into 2020?
0: What is not exciting? (laughs) There's, I think, a lot of really interesting areas. Let's see. I, you know, the theme of it, and you'll see some of this in the article too, but it's, I would say, looking for platform technology solutions focused on, you know, sort of specific pain points and providers and the the value chain and the delivery of freight. And so good example, it's, you know, freight forwarders. I think they sit at obviously such a a key part of, they are such a key part of this. They are the orchestrators. They are best positioned to sort of truly, you know, tie the supply chain together, helping them digitize. Uh, I think they'll continuing to grow as an importance as, you know, supply chains kind of reform, regionalize. So, so finding technology to better serve them, I think is really compelling. We talk about a next generation TMS, kind of upgrading the TMS, right? Beyond just execution, but giving the TMS maybe more intelligence, more predictive, kind of analytical, you know, more visualization, you know, help make people like their TMS again. We were investors in a company called Turbo. We sold the business to lineage we're sort of looking for you know next turbo turbo 2.0 they were a collaborative dms i'd say third maybe last mile you know as the world moves to expecting things and faster the last mile is still the most expensive part of that chain and there's i think more that can be done kind of enabling that powering that optimizing that and maybe lastly and this is you know because we again we straddle commerce infrastructure activant as i mentioned earlier but i think. Payments and fintech in general, financial services in general, there's a, still a big opportunity. Set aside logistics. Just look at fintech land, and all this money has been spent building up fintech infrastructure over the last, you know, five years, seven years. There might be a culling to come there, but but that infrastructure I think could be put to good use. Could be you know, maybe more verticalized, powering interesting programs for logistics companies. Give logistics businesses, which generally can be lower margin, let's say you know, additional higher margin revenue. So what's may be a good example of that, but that's, I think, an interesting area we're spending time on as well. So a lot, but those are probably four-ish, five-ish that come to mind. Got it. And I want to kind of
1: chat about last mile here that that you mentioned. And a few years ago, I wrote this blog post and I kind of went out and had a chat with a bunch of people. and was very publicly skeptical and down on last mile, and I have, I guess, in the last few months, leaned into one of our kind of core sayings here at Dynamo. You know, you need to have strong opinions, but keep them loosely held, right? And, mm-hmm. and be open to to kind of changing them as you see data anecdotes. So I've been kind of retesting that, revisiting that. I'd be curious, kind of. How do you think about last mile and unit economics, and the sure. difficulties around scaling that? Because you do sit at a different part of the capital spectrum from Dynamo, so sure. I'd be curious your point of view on this.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. First, I guess I'd say maybe more generally, you know, I guess I'm a fundamental believer that you know things will, I guess, need to get to folks sooner or faster. The world is evolving to that, right? Amazon took us from, you know, two weeks to two days. And I, I do think the world is moving towards, you know, same day, two hours. There will be a place for that. Now, you know, maybe the timing may take a little longer than we think, but I think the, the pandemic gave us maybe a little preview. of both. There is, I think, consumer demand for that. You, you see consumers, you know, reorder or more loyal, order more if it, you know, can be fulfilled sooner, quicker. More conveniently, so I think that longer-term trend of of, you know quicker, faster is here to stay, and that's obviously where I think a lot of last-mile kind of investment has been focused on getting things to folks sooner. I would say the asset heavier companies doing last mile. So you you alluded to unit economics. I think it will be a bit of a low period, maybe the best way to describe it. The the cheap money of the last you know ten plus years that fueled the door dashes and Ubers of the world, that will be probably turned off for a while. You know, for those businesses, I think it's, you know, it's time to take, if not already, right? A hard look at really finding the profitable unit or the potentially profitable, right? Maybe rearranging or scaling to that. So that's maybe a city, a country, maybe it's a few neighborhoods, you know, depending a little bit about the markets, and I think you need to sort of adjust, you know, accordingly, right? You need to cut burn, you need to reach that profitability, and I do think, you know, there are so many models in last mile that I think could work with that right amount of sort of discipline um, in terms of mm-hmm. fighting the profitable unit, weathering the storm. You will get, you know, over time to that. I think size and density and volume mm-hmm. to to make it work. But I would say, you know, that's one piece of last mile, right? There's also more asset light models that, you know, could I think still be quite interesting in times like this. Um, we invested in Deliver, which is an asset light model, not focused on last mile. Asset light model, not focused on last mile, but that's, a, a, you know, another way to approach this. There are also folks sort of selling the software, the enabling tools for last mile to, to optimize and improve that I think is, again, well worth spending time on. Um, in a time like this, again, with the view that, you know, the world is going to move to faster sooner and last mile will only continue to grow in importance. So I, you know, still believer that there's a lot of opportunity in last mile, but it'll take some time. And,
1: you know, kind of stepping forward here, what would you tell, you know, an executive at a legacy corporation about how they should consider allocating supply chain tech dollars this year? Have you any opinions on that?
0: Maybe I'd go back to our cheeky title, you know, every company is, will be a logistics business. Every company is moving into logistics, thinking about logistics, supply chain has been front and center. Maybe the advice would be, you know, it might be tough, but it feels like now is the time to, to, you know, now is not the time to stop investing. You know, there's an element of striking while the iron is hot, while, you know, these issues are front and center in boardrooms. So one, I would say that, you know, keep investing, even though things might be tough. I feel like there's a bit, you know, back to business as usual, right? There was a mad rush for capacity through the ups and downs of the pandemic. But I think it's, you know, given way to, you know, back to a focus on kind of, let's say, price and quality. So, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, getting back to basics, you know, making sure you're reoriented towards that. I would say as part of that too, it's probably worth revisiting your kind of core tech and platforms, yeah. you know, perhaps it's time for an upgrade in your TMS. So there's a little bit, kind of get back to the basics, revisit what you're doing, make sure you're maybe geared and ready for a more certain environment or at least a less uncertain environment. You can focus again on on kind of price and quality. And then maybe there's a, I don't know, third piece to that, which is just thinking about, you know, some of the emerging trends, right? Getting ahead of them. That's, you know, nearshoring or regionalizing supply chains, whether that's increasing visibility, whether that's thinking about financial services and payments and how that might be able to change your unit economics, improve your unit economics. So some of those sort of same exciting areas we talked about a little bit earlier, I double click on those two.
1: And how do you think about sustainability as you kind of meet with founders across the supply chain, seeing different kind of problems, opportunity sets be pitched to you? Have you a framework? Is that something that you all are are thinking about within this thesis?
0: Yeah, it is very much top of mind. It's a, it's actually a piece we're working on, sort of right now. It's in sort of the you know early to mid stages. I would say it's a little bit. You know, we were pointed here. We've got an office in Berlin in Europe, and so we've been, I think, watching a bit what's going on there. They may be a little bit ahead of us. You know, watching for sort of learnings that maybe could be brought back to the states. But uh, you know. I would say in general, you know, that we're optimistic that, you know, sort of investing in supply chain tech can also indirectly or directly, right, make a difference in sustainability. So, you know, more efficient routing, better asset utilization, better monitoring, more automation, things like that. And so there's a little bit, you know, again, striking while the iron's hot, there's also an interesting moment in time to, I think, make a difference on the sustainability front as well. As you're investing in supply chain tech, you can also be, you know, helping make the world a cleaner better place so yeah more to come there but uh, but definitely something we've been thinking a lot about at the top of mind
1: agreed agreed on that front especially that that last statement yeah. um so you know kind of consensus amongst investors i'd say all stakeholders on the table is that this is going to be a challenging year to raise venture what advice Do you have for founders who are hard-pressed on runway?
0: Yeah, don't. (laughs) This is, as you can imagine, been the subject of many conversations. I would say don't, you know, don't wait. There was an element of maybe, you know, waiting to see if the new year might bring some changes, this, that, or the other. But, you know, if you need more runway, you should start the process now. Obviously not the best of conditions, but, you know, be honest with yourselves. You know, there's a little bit of triangulation on, you know, starting where you last raised, you know, there's kind of a couple of, you know, starting with where you last raised, work yourself back. Can you keep growing and at the same burn kind of get to size and shape to raise your next round in the new kind of valuation environment? You know, if yes, you know, that's great. If not, you know, there's an element, maybe door number two, where you need to cut them to reach break even to reach the next round. You know, hopefully you're in that bucket at least. But then there's also the third bucket, right? Where sort of maybe don't quite see a path towards that next viable raise. And I would say you you need to have some hard conversations now. And that's where, you know, again, being honest with yourself, don't wait to raise. Just I think get out there and, and do what it takes to to ensure the survival of your business. So there's a little bit of the yeah, that with uh, that internal calculus and being honest with yourselves.
1: And you know, ha- have you had the conversations or, or are you seeing kind of part and parcel with this realization hey, you're hard pressed on runway, you have to make mm-hmm. some hard decisions that might actually create a wave of MA that can kind of pulling on a prior thread, help yeah. these legacy corporates become more supply chain native and have a competency around that
0: yes yes i'm really glad you brought that up 100 i was just at a journalist lunch with a Bloomberg reporter who spends time on on M&A deals and it does feel like there are yeah i think some there's an interesting setup for some for M&A obviously you know let's say the big guys in general and maybe it's tech or maybe it's logistics or strategics. It does feel like there's a, a good amount of cash, you know, maybe stored and socked away from, from a 10-year bull market. And obviously the run in the pandemic, I think that, you know, bodes well. And then pair that up with, you know, earlier stage companies who yeah, may or may not be able to raise fairly or unfairly, I guess, but just given the environment, I think that's a really, yeah, it's a really interesting way to, to I don't know, see your way forward. So I think M&A is definitely something everybody should be sort of thinking about probably have a strategy for and uh, who knows hopefully maybe you don't have to use it hopefully you don't have to use it but uh, i think always good to have it Mm. yeah so uh, we're going to wrap up here on
1: on a more fun note but i'd be (laughs) curious david what's your favorite daily ritual
0: oh that's a good one let me try this one i don't know how this might sink but i've got a i've got a three boys young boys. Every night I, I tell them a bedtime story. I think at least four of them Or they protest, they won't go to bed. They're <laughs> kind of, I don't know how this started, but it's been, you know, nine, ten months into this. They're wholly original stories that I have to make up on the fly because I, I think they recognize, you know, if it's from a book or they remember stories from the last week. They're recurring characters, usually superhero trucks. I think that save the day try to weave in a lesson or a moral. But I liked this, I guess. I think of this because it's, you know, obviously, it's quality time with the kids, with the family. I think coming up with new stories each night, you know, sort of forces me to be in the moment, but uh, and not just on autopilot with them. Um, but it also, I think, kind of keeps me creative. <laughs> just I don't know. I spend a little bit of time prepping for these stories now, and I let my mind wander. I think that whole process of you know maybe detaching yourself a bit from the day to day and getting stuff done is kind of what this represents. Has been has been really helpful. So I love give that. it a try. Love
1: that. And uh, to wrap us up here, bring us home. If you had to pick a single song to listen on repeat for 24 hours, what would that be?
0: Wow.
1: It might not be your favorite song or a song you ever want to listen to after this, but.
0: I got it. Yeah, 24 hours on repeat is a long time. I'm one of these people that, I can't work with music playing on in the background, like even music without words. Like it always distracts me. It's hard for me to focus. So maybe I need to go with something, if I had to pick one, something more simple and classic. But the first thing that came to mind was pockbell's Bell's Canon and D. It's, you know, I find it incredibly calming and soothing. In my younger days, I was maybe a bit of a romantic, maybe too many weddings. I don't know. But that song, for whatever reason, you know, Does like calm me down and kind of a good relaxing song for me at least. Um, So that's awesome. Hopefully, that helps (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. Well, David, it was
1: awesome to have you on here. Appreciate you kind of walking through how you and the team at Activant are thinking about supply chain and viewing it as such an important competency for businesses going forward. And uh, with that, look forward to the new things joining your portfolio and the broader Mm -hmm. acting family
0: yeah thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it was a lot of fun cheers thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked and be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice until next time